start in Acts 24 again, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul and urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an, an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. You may be seated. We'll cover the rest of the verses as we go through. That gives us kind of a standing where we're at. And we see Paul is still in peril. Seeing Paul, he's getting bounced around from uh, trial to trial. And the accusations are severe. They want a death penalty, these Jews. If he's found guilty, they want Paul put to death. They're out for his blood, just like they were after Jesus, to silence him, to silence him permanently. Remember, they really wanted to get Paul. They even had one assassination plot set up, and it failed. But you know what we see in Paul? What we see in Paul is the response of a righteous man. And I think that's a lesson for us. How we respond to things, whether good or bad, stick to the truth, stick to the facts. You know, we've seen a couple times I mentioned the letters that these guys wrote explaining the recent history and how it was embellished. And, and we see this guy who came down uh, who was sugarcoating and sucking up to these leaders. That shouldn't be us. Our motivation should be the truth. And that's what Paul does. He sticks to the truth and at every opportunity, he injects God's law into the conversation. He's a good soldier for Christ. In all opportunities, he introduces law and the gospel. It's very important to us. And again, you know, when I read that word, let nobody rebuke you. And nobody shame you into not saying anything or for your own fear because they're people of authority. Paul disregards nobody. He just says, no, this is the law, this is the truth. 
Whether you're a peasant, whether you're a king, it's the same. So we have a new leader in town. Tells us after some days, Felix, or, or no, we'll go back after. Felix came with his wife to Sirla, who was Jewish, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. Remember, I mentioned in past sermons, Felix was a wicked man. Many people crucified. Many Jews crucified under him. He was wicked. He was always after bribes. He loved the bribes. Like many wicked men, or most wicked men, they do not fear God. They do not fear God and his judgment. Yet Paul here reminds him that there is judgment. There is even judgment for him. Notice Paul is bold with the truth. And this Felix could have had Paul killed. He could have done things to allow the Jews to kill Paul. So I think it's by the providence of God that Paul is still alive. And also we know that it's by the greed of Felix. He wanted to get bribes out of him. But just remember that these wicked rulers and wicked men, because their conscience is seared, they do not look for justice. They do not look for righteousness. There's always that alternative desire in their hearts. How will this benefit me? How can I keep my position? How can I gain more wealth? And justice is just the word they use to their advantage when many times they are doing misjustice. Again, Felix is looking for a bribe. He's looking for his own self-gain. When powerful men get in power, or when any man gets in power, they either want, many times they want more power, more wealth, and they do not want to give it up. But God does raise righteous men to power. And their motivation is like Paul's, to always please God and to do his will. That's the contrast we see in these verses. So for two years, Paul is held. Felix knows he's innocent. So Paul is basically a political pawn. He's held by these wicked men because they think they can gain an advantage by holding him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, why would Felix all of a sudden say, hey, I'm going to do these Jews a favor? I'm going to appease these Jews. I'm going to just keep Paul in prison because that's what they like. Well, Josephus gives us clarity. Nero, the new Caesar, had taken over, and Felix was a tyrant concerning the treatment of the Jews, Josephus tells us that there was a, a real battle going on in Jerusalem between the, the Greek Gentiles and the other Gentiles against the Jewish leaders. Both wanted to be the ruling party in Jerusalem. And it was bringing where there's actually armed conflict between these two groups, between the Jews 
and the Greek, and it's other Gentiles as well, but many of the Greek Gentiles. And Felix stepped in after a couple of years. He got sick of it, and he sided with the, the Gentiles, with the Greeks, and went against the Jews. He had many of them killed, many thrown in prison. And what really liked them is the Jewish leaders, the Jewish businessmen who rubbed shoulders with Rome were very wealthy. There was, they had a lot of wealth. And guess what? Surprise, surprise, Felix confiscated much of their wealth. So again, I don't think he was looking at truth. I think his, he was thinking, well, what will benefit me the most? I'll look good in Rome. I put this rebellion down, and hey, I get a few coins out of it. But the Jewish authorities had sent a delegation to Nero complaining about Felix. And Nero was in the process of removing Felix from power. And so Felix was trying to appease these Jews and do them a favor so that they would back off and maybe he could keep his seat of power. He was just trying to save his own skin. And just a side note, remember Nero was called the beast? An extremely evil man, wicked man. But in his first few years of his rule, he wasn't. He was a fairly good real ruler. It is because his primary counselor was a guy named Seneca. We heard about that a few sermons back. His writings are still used today. He is a very just philosopher, an educator on how to rule and rule justly and wisely. Remember Gallio, that was his brother, the one who, gave, who wouldn't even listen to Paul's side of the story. He just said, no, Christianity is part of Judaism, so Paul can go about freely and you Jews have to leave him alone. Seneca influenced Gallio. Gallio influenced Nero. And for the few, first few years, Nero was a pretty decent ruler, pretty fair ruler. But something changed. Obviously, he must have listened to different counselors. It's important who we listen to. It's important who we have as guides for our lives. As Nero became wicked, he killed Seneca and his brother. He became a completely ruthless ruler. So we see Felix is on the out. I bring that up because later on, Paul appeals to be judged by Nero. Why would he do that if he was wicked? At this time, he was not a wicked ruler. But Felix is out, and we see Festus coming onto the scene. And remember, when Festus comes in, the relationship between the Romans and the Jews, Jews is extremely hostile right now. Felix, like I say, he ruled as a tyrant, made life miserable for the Jews. So Festus is sent in to calm things down. And if he doesn't calm things down, he'll be out too. So it's in his best interest to bring peace among the 
fighting groups, the Jews and the Romans, and to bring it as quick as possible. And we see he goes right to work, and starting now in chapter 25. Now, three days after Festus has arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of Jews laid out their case against Paul. He goes right to work, this Festus. He heads right to the hot spot. Because see, this Paul issue was bringing a lot of tension to all people, the Romans, the Jews, and surely to Festus. But he goes right there, meeting with these Jewish leaders. We have to remember one thing right now at this time in history. Neither side, the Romans nor the Jewish, there's, there's no righteous men on either side. Jesus was calling these Jewish officials dogs, vipers, sons of Satan. He knew what they were. We know that Ananias was a thug that had people knocked off, bumped off. He was like a mafia boss. And the Romans were wicked rulers. But that's how the wicked act. They're still accountable to God. But they do not fear God. So lying, cheating, deceiving, it's part of their native tongue, as Jesus said. You're liars, it's your native tongue. They do not fear any eternal retribution. So what do these wicked Jews do? They say, hey, you know, Festus, do us a favor. You know, maybe we can end this uh, problem between us. Just bring this Paul guy up to Jerusalem. Maybe do it with a little light guard. Surely we'll have a fair trial for him. No, they won't. And they urged him, this is going back to the verse, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Remember the previous ambush where these guys said we won't eat or drink for, until we kill Paul while well, they ate and drank even though they didn't kill him and now they're still out there. And they want to have another go at him because they're just stooges for these leaders, for Ananias. But also Festus wasn't a fool. He's right in power, but surely he had to read the reports from Felix about the previous ambush. And he says, and Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Another thing with wicked men. Throw every lie, every charge you can at people and hope something sticks. Lie with no regard, no shame. Again, wicked men do not fear God. They made false charges. No witnesses ever came up. 
But Paul was a threat to their power and to their treasure. And they were going to do everything they could to hold on to that power. They were not serving God, but they would use that excuse that, oh, we're doing it for God. We're doing it for justice, you know. It's the same today. We're doing it for justice. It's so serious we have to look into it, lie after lie. The wicked have their conscience seared. And for us, for us, it's hard to comprehend that at times. Particularly if we've been Christians since our youth. It's hard for us to understand how wicked men can be. How they can lie and deceive. I know I ran construction jobs for 30 years. Just imagine how many I told my wife, I said, there's no more room for the knives in my back. People trying to climb the ladder or subcontractors who don't show up and don't want to take the blame. But also when we were in the pro-life movement early on in the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, we'd go down there, stand against abortion, and there was a lot of people, a lot of pro-death people there. There was a snow fence that separated. They all stood by the Planned Parenthood area so that the babies could be killed. The Christians, would have, could, they couldn't go past the snow fence. But the news people would come down, Channel 4, Channel 6. And Christy and I would be standing right there, and they're filming right next to us. Say, oh, good, at least it's being exposed. But we'd go at home at night, and, you know, there was a motley crew of witches, warlocks, and... <laughs> people I've never seen before on demanding the death of the babies. And we'd go home, and on the news, they'd be talking about the pro-lifers as they're filming this motley crew of pro-deathers, which gave the impression that this is the pro-life side, screaming and hollering. And it worked. I'd talk to Christians who didn't go down there, and they'd say, oh, those Christians down there are just, I can't believe how they're acting. And it wasn't one time. We'd see this time and time again. And I'd tell them, no. They're filming the pro-death side and speaking about the pro-lifers so that you think that this is the pro-lifers. And I even called the reporters out. I said, you're lying. We see your programs at night. You're just flat out lying. They didn't care. Agenda. Who they were siding with. The wicked do not care. Lying is their native tongue, stealing, maligning people. I'm sure all of us have been maligned. And particularly when it comes to Christians, we will be maligned. You know, you share the gospel with people when they say, oh, you're forcing your religion down my face. No, I'm sharing the gospel with you. I'm not forcing you. God never forced anybody. I'm sharing good news with you. Expect it. The wicked will do it. They will lie. They will cheat. And if they get people thrown in prison with their lies, they sleep like babies at night. It doesn't bother them because their conscience is seared. Whereas we who know the truth know we will have a coming judgment when we sin 
we should feel guilt and shame. We better, if you don't, you better check with God to make sure you're saved. So Paul argued his defense, and he he sticks to the truth. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. Now Paul just sticks to the facts. He doesn't sugarcoat. He just says, hey, this is the truth. This is where it's at. Again, that's what we must always do. Felix knows Paul's innocent. They have no witnesses. But Felix also wants this problem to go away. So now Felix attempts to appease the Jews. You know, he's going to have to be working with these Jews if he wants to stay in power. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a or to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before you? You know, you can just see his mind working. Okay, maybe I can talk Paul into saying, yeah, you can go, I'll go up to Jerusalem. I want to go up there. And Felix says, yeah, I can send him with a light guard. You know, Ananias can have some of his goons whack him off. I can go down and kill a couple of Ananias' goons, and all is well. You know, I put the rebellion down. The Jews are happy. Paul's dead. We lost a few players. Big deal. You know, that's how the wicked think. It's always, what's best for me? What's best for my power? How can I stay in power? Paul knew it, though. Paul knew they tried to kill him. And Paul also knows his rights as a Roman citizen. So in verse 10, Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. See, he sees right through it. He knows that this was just a plot to give him up to the Jews. I appealed to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. You see, as a Roman citizen, Paul knew in a capital offense case, he could appeal directly to the emperor, directly to Caesar. And they would have to have his case sent up for Caesar to judge it. Again, Paul had a life, his life was on the line. These were charges. Again, he knew that he was appealing to Nero. That's why I brought up earlier that the first few years of Nero's rule, Nero did a pretty good job. So Paul said, I appeal to Nero. But it's God's providence because Jesus told Paul he would be his witness in Rome to the Roman officials, to rulers. So all this is working out according to God's plan. But again, Nero Nero was influenced by Seneca, who was a good guy, and many people read Seneca's writings even today. But Nero changed, and 
When wicked men change, they eliminate anybody who gives them discomfort, including Seneca and his brother. Again, especially young people, be careful who you hang out with, be careful who you're influenced by. It makes a great deal of difference. Remember, Festus had just come into power, so there was other things to do. He'd have to be rubbing shoulders with the other elite, the other people in charge, because he'd be working with them. And so we see two more people come onto the scene, uh, King Agrippa and Bernice. And I'll just read down through here, pretty self-explaining. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the men to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charges in this case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Now we see a summary of what's going on here. You know, there was some justice in the Roman system. He said, yeah, we have to have witnesses, counter witnesses, hear the guy. And that's good. Even if pagans use God's law, that's good. There was a sentence of condemnation. We see that. We see that there was no evidence. You know, when the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in the case of such evils as I suppose. But also we see admission by Festus. He doesn't understand the religion, the Jewish religion. You know, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be tried there regarding them. You know, he says, at a loss, I'm at a loss. So what Festus is doing is trying to get some information on how this Jewish religion works from Agrippa. Because Agrippa was a king in one of the providence. Festus had more power than King Agrippa, but Agrippa was there longer. So Festus is trying to get information because he wants to get this Paul problem out of his hair. He's going to ship him off to Caesar, but now he says, I've got to write a letter why I'm shipping them there, and I don't know what to write. It tells us that, and if you jump down a little bit to verse 25, it says, But I found that I had nothing, that he had done nothing deserving death. So Festus knows he's innocent. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. 
but having nothing definite to write to my Lord about him, therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to be unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Felix wants to look good in front of the empire, but this way it's working out great for, for uh, or I mean, for Festus. So he satisfied the Jews. He wanted to, you know, maybe send them to Jerusalem if Paul would agree. Could have got rid of the problem there. So he looked good to the Jews. And now he doesn't have to try him. He's going to ship him off to Caesar. But he has to have a letter. Why? Why he's sending them there. So again, it's working out pretty good for Festus. Who was King Agrippa? He was one of the Herods. A group of men that the Romans saw potential for leadership. They used them. They were wicked men. Agrippa was the Herod's grandson that participated in the trial of Jesus. And again, these Herods, the Romans used them as kings over areas, but they were wicked men. They wanted, they had power, the Romans gave them power, which meant wealth, and they wanted to keep the power. And history records that they would have anybody knocked off that threatened that power, including their own wives and their own children. They're wicked, evil men. Now, you'd think that Bernice was Agrippa's wife. No, it was his sister. Their physical relationship was like husband and wife. But he was after wealth and greed, power. Unfortunately, he was the last of them. He had no children. Again, a dynasty of wicked men ended with Agrippa. So the next day, as we read, we'll jump back to verse 21. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city, Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. And he goes on and explaining why they're there so that he has a reason to write to the emperor. But you notice one thing here? How God opens the door for Paul to give his defense and to share the gospel with many people. With many people. Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. This hall was going to be filled. And it was going to be with the leaders and the shakers and the makers of the city. And Paul, through his literal trials, was sharing the gospel message 
with the common man, with the Jewish leaders, and with the Roman leaders, going higher and higher up the chain of command in Rome. And he never wavered. He never backed down from who he was sharing the message. As we must do. Let no one disregard you is a message for all believers. And Paul never wavered in the truth. But you see, Paul understood another thing according to God's law. We serve our king, whether we are in bounds, whether we're free, wherever we're at. Our mission never changes. We still serve our king, and we are to advance his kingdomship. We're not to preserve our little kings or kingdoms, our little wealth, if it means compromising our God. Paul could have summoned his followers, hey, you know, get a few thousand silver coins together and he'll let me go. Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't bribe Felix. Paul put it in God's hands. God prepares all of his saints. He saves us from our sins. But he saves us for service, to do the works that God commands us to do before the time. Works he prepared for us, for our lives, for this time of history. And that's what each of us must do. Seek out where we are to serve our God in whatever area it is. And it is that daily service, that daily recognition that we serve God our King and not ourselves is what makes all the difference. And that there is retribution for our lives. If we don't complete our service, if we lie, we cheat, and we deceive, if we rob God of his tithes, his offerings, if we rob God of his service by not coming together to worship, there will be retribution for that, and we know it. And that's what sets us apart from the wicked. And we see it in today as well as we do back then and throughout history. Wicked men love power and they love holding on to it. And they will lie and they cheat and they will deceive. And any threat, any threat, they will avoid if they think it may take away their power. Look at any politician or most politicians, not all. You tell them of a problem, they'll, oh yeah, yeah, that's a big problem, that's a big problem, but we can't address that, it's an election year. Is it right or is it wrong, election year or not? But no, they, they don't want to, well, i got an election coming up, I can't do any controversial issues right now. That's compromising. Either it's just and it's true or it's not, irregardless of what it will do for your future. That's the people we must be. Let us pray. My Lord and our God, as we go through this world, this time in history, I pray that we stand up as righteous men as Paul. Not many of us, if any, will ever be used as much as Paul was, but each of us does play a part in your kingdom, and let us be faithful in that part. Let us stand for righteousness. And as all men, we are tempted to have alternative motives. And usually it does involve power and wealth, our own self-being, our own self-preservation. 
Lord, let us learn, and through your power, to put you first in all circumstances and proclaim the truth irregardless of what the results may be. Let no man, no man intimidate us, no man disregard us. Your truth is for all people, kings, rulers, and the common man. And it is your word that changes hearts. I just pray that you use each and every one of us mightily for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, 